Hey, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you're tuning into this episode. Uh, we are a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we really appreciate you listening, watching on YouTube. We really encourage you to subscribe to whatever platform you're using. If you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, or if you're on Apple or however you listen to a podcast, be sure and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. Also, make comments if you like it and share it if you like it. We really need people to make comments and share the episodes that you like. And then also, if you're not already a supporter, we really would encourage you to go to spiritualityadventures.com and you can pick a tier and we have bonus content for every type of giver. These are this is a nonprofit, so they're tax deductible donations, but we do provide bonus content for those who uh, are supporters. So be a part of the team, help support Spirituality Adventures, and we're so glad you're tuning into this episode. Hey, welcome everybody to this episode of Spirituality Adventures. Glad you're tuning in. Today we have Ryan Davis, but better known as Kadesh Flow. Okay. And Kadesh is. Uh, one of the top rapper, hip hop musicians here in Kansas City, singer, songwriter, trombonist, uh, the, the hip hop rapper with an MBA. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Kadesh. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. So I like to I like to kind of jump into your your background story. You know, get a little of the uh, history of your growing up years, your family, kind of what your family environment was like? Where did you grow up? Where were you born? Where did you grow up? So I was born in Lonsdale, Germany. My parents were in the Air Force and we, we hopped around Europe as they were moving around stations. And then they were stationed in Edwards Air Force Base in California. I think it's about 70, 80 miles north of LA, I think. So we went out there. Uh, my parents divorced. My dad started playing college football at Antelope Valley College, then ended up at, at Fresno State. And we're the same size, basically, but he was playing linebacker, so he was short for a linebacker. And so um, he wasn't really ever going to start at Fresno State, so he transferred to Albany State in Albany, Georgia. Hmm. And that's a D2 school, but it was a championship-level D2 school. They were basically getting, like, all the people who flunked out or were kicked off of, like, USC and whatnot. Hmm. So he was a backup there, but got playing time, got a criminal justice degree there. My mom and I moved to Alabama, where she grew up in the Mobile area, technically Baymanette, technically Brumley, which is a super, super small town. My cousins and I like to call it Butt Town. I still don't know <laughs> where that necessarily came from, but it's, like, in the woods between two cities, it's gradually being absorbed into the Spanish Fort suburbs. I went to Spanish Fort School for elementary and middle, went to Daphne High School. I'm the last class ever to go to go to Spanish Fort Middle School and graduate from Daphne High School. Daphne had a high state championship program. Um, so like my high school played for two state state championships when I was in high school, lost both of those, but one state immediately before and immediately, like a couple years before and a couple years after, I was out of high school, had a regionally known um, marching band program that I was in that, you know, we won some competitions all over the Southeast. And then um, I went to the University of Alabama. I thought I was gonna leave the state and I uh, thought I was gonna go to either Georgia Tech or maybe go to Colorado, but um, both of those would have been partial scholarship things. Mm -hmm. And that was fine, but then Alabama really, at that point in time, they were recruiting high academic, high level academic students, almost like athletes. You know, like it was, it was crazy and awesome, and I felt really wanted there. So I went and joined this cohort of all these people who had turned down Ivy Leagues to go to the University of Alabama. Huh. Um, was what, was, what did you major in? I did a program. It's called New College. And they kept they keep the name for posterity, but it's it's one of the oldest interdisciplinary studies programs for you for a public university in in the U.S. It's like wildly progressive, especially to be at the University of Alabama and start in the '70s. But it's basically where you build your own major under the guidance of an advisor and a team of other people you pull together. So I, I basically did it's basically media production, but I I hit all these things because I I was like oh I might wanna I might wanna do game design or I might want to do music or I might want to do graphic design or I might want to do business. I don't know. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but I have this, but I knew the whole time coming into college, I knew that I wanted to be in entertainment in some way. I said, no, if I wanted to perform and be on the business side of it. And then I started running away from that. So um, I, during that point in time, um, one of my mentors of the time put me on to the Cotton Film Festival. I was able to get an internship there. That really was the first time I saw that like I could hang with highly talented, prolific people at a high level because I'm out here literally like talking to people who are producing these major films who have music industry ties and I'm playing them on music and they're like, you're incredible. You mm. But and this was in France. This was at the Cotton Festival was in France. How long did, did you do this internship there? So that was a three week thing. So it was just okay. like coming in a little before the, the festival okay. started and going to a little after and then okay. flying back. But um, that was just a really validating situation. It wasn't the first really validating situation I've had as an artist, but it was huge. And also really life altering because I thought I was going to graduate and get a job either in New Orleans or go to LA and be a PA or something and knock on doors and try to do the record label thing. And I had somebody in the industry basically explain the concept of a 360 deal to me because that was the way the industry had moved and I wasn't aware of that. And I was in an off market town in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So that freaked me out enough to, like at the time I didn't realize that I was making the decision I made because of this, but I ended up deciding to go to grad school instead of taking, like I had a soft job offer for the Louisiana Film Commission because mm -hmm. um, I was just hanging out with those guys uh, when I wasn't doing my intern work and just really kind of getting in. And that was when New Orleans was really hot for producing like everything. Mm. Um, so I ended up going to grad school, stayed at Alabama, uh, got a master's in business administration. That concentration was um, marketing and business analytics kind of smashed together. And um, I thought I was, I, I was still, I thought I was gonna go to New York or LA or the Valley. Mm -hmm. And I got a consulting job offer in the Valley and ended up turning it down. Didn't feel right for multiple reasons. And um, I made a list of companies that were either healthy or cool, uh, culture-wise, and Cerner was on that list. Okay. And I didn't get to any of the other companies on the list because Cerner, Cerner like jumped right on there. So Cerner is the reason I ended up. What year up, was that? That was 2013. 2013. And that's it. Okay. Came to Kansas City, started working at Cerner. All right. Cool. So back up a little bit. Um, what was your family environment like? Did, did you have a faith tradition in your family? And also, how did music enter your world? Were your parents musical? So kind of the faith piece and the music piece, when did... What were those like growing up in your family and how did those kind of originate with you or how did they influence you? Gotcha. Faith was huge in my family, mom and dad's side. So my, my family initially was kind of just like a, not Southern Baptist, but just like the Alabama, deep South, black Baptist church. Yeah. I think the other, um, the church we went to was like 150 years old or something oh, wow. like that. Historic black church? Yeah. Yeah. Involved in civil rights movement, all that kind of Yeah, mildly. Kind of history. But mildly. yeah. Okay. Um, uh -huh. uh, so two things happened. So my dad grew up like black Methodist, but he never really was fully like in there. And he was kind of a wild child, especially getting into the military. And so he has a moment he tells where, he was uh, driving drunk and like blackout. And um, he came to as his car was like spinning out. And, you know, it could have been a lot worse than it ended up. And he says he had a, had a very tangible voice that said, mm. said to him, um, if you stay on this path, you won't see another birthday. And so then he went and gave his life life to Jesus, like, yeah, you know, yeah. immediately after that, right? So um, huh. that's where huh. he got started. And his, his growth was always, he's always been in more like charismatic ministries and okay. whatnot. So he went from there. Um, and then my mom ended up marrying my former stepfather. And he was in a charismatic ministry that, ironically, my, um, my great uncle was the pastor of this church. Still is, Abundant Life Christian Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Wow. 
And so, so I ended up, you know, charismatic on both sides. And my dad early on had me just like in ministries doing things. Like I was laying hands on people when I was like eight. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> a lot of people thought I was going to be like this pastor, great guy. minister uh-huh. person. Um, it's really fascinating to think about now because in a lot of ways, I think what I do musically and how I write and how cathartic and healing it is to people, it's like, it's like they they almost had it right. It's healing yeah. in, a, in a different <laughs> yeah. in a different manifestation, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But that that so that was the the faith tradition, and I was really there. I was really really you know serious about my Christian faith and being on fire for the Lord, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Really through, um, I'd say through, probably my senior year of college. Even though like, I've I've always been kind of a person who questions things. My dad is like the most faith-based skeptic you'll ever meet in your life. Mm. And I just take my skepticism further than he does. Yeah. Like his stops <laughs> at a certain point, but I take every few years, I take everything I believe in, kind of throw it against the wall and look at it. Oh. And so I was doing that constantly. I waited till I was in my 50s to do that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and it was really painful actually, but you know, good. I think good in the long run. Yeah. It's hard, you know, yeah. it's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. Um, and just see my family, you know, dynamics are interesting, you know, like my mom's been divorced twice and now she's looking at everything in a different way. My dad's still in ministry. He's in Port Arthur, Texas now, which is where he grew up. And so he's in a ministry that's connected there. And, um, yeah, so that's the faith foundation. Um, the, th- the big thing that really fast tracked my, like, looking at everything deeply is I fell in love with a agnostic Jew when I was in college. Oh, interesting. And she was actually considering becoming, like she was going to church with me and really thinking about it. And then she did a birthright trip. And um, oh, to Israel? That, yeah. yeah. And that was the wow. first time that she had really, uh, that was like the first time she had really felt anything spiritual mm. for real. And um, and so that, so that thankfully didn't happen because I would have, I would have <laughs> hated to have been responsible for it. The alternative um but yeah yeah uh musically my family has always been musical to a degree i have one uncle uncle uh, everybody calls him uncle brown his uncle ls he left he left home at 15 and started he's been performing internationally for like 50 years or something like that 56 years musically yeah and i don't know him very well because he was gone my entire upbringing i've seen him twice what is, what kind of music does he do i uh, like blues folk soul okay. stuff um hmm. Everybody, like a lot of people in my family sing. Just nobody really took music seriously for real, for real. I have one cousin in my generation of my family who went to um, went to school for theater performance and then went to conservatory in Wales. And he's in New York doing really well for himself right now. We're the only two people right now. Interesting. Who, and, and part of that, I think, is like my family, my generation. So like I'm in my 30s and the, I guess, 80 1980 through now is really the first generation of my family who's been able to like be successful whatever we felt like doing uninhibited for as far as like systemic oppression and and racism and whatnot but my family's always been like like that side of my family's always had like a lot of really hard workers and people who do things that are cool so my family kind of takes a lot of this stuff for granted mm. like my family has just expected me to be well known musically for like most of my life mm. and it's just a thing that honestly they don't appreciate enough <laughs> to, because they just expected it they're like oh yeah ryan's gonna go to you know he's gonna go to i have a full ride to a d1 school and they're like oh yeah of course you know and i'm like i got a full ride like what are you talking about you know so that's the musical foundations there to that degree my family spits out like college football level talent though and a lot of the men in my family are like stocky like me and we're just there's like a foot range of height like there are people who are like five five and there are people who are six five and i'm on the shorter end of that but you know i have cousins who have played in the nfl you know a bunch of cousins did college football i kind of rebelled on that a little bit and decided to do music yeah did you start in church musically (sighs) No, I started in band. My first rap performance was a church rap performance. I was wondering. Yeah. But uh, that was in Albany, Georgia. That was uh, Ram Award International Ministries. My dad was a part of that. 
and they had a youth talent show when I was 13. But I started playing in, in band. I did a recording class, a recorder class at 10 years old. Um, and then chose to do, I started playing trombone because I thought trombone sounded like fart noises and I wanted to make <laughs> fart noises. And then. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. And then like a couple weeks after that, we were roasting somebody on the back of the bus about their breath. And we had a song. I don't know who came up with the song. If they got it from somebody else, they heard it. I don't know where it came from. But Say My Name by Destiny's Child was pretty big back then. And we had a parody of it that went, close your mouth, close your mouth. Your breath smells like onions, sour cream and funions. Need to close your mouth. <laughs> and <laughs> the idea was, oh, all the cool like R&B and pop singing songs have rap have rap verses on the remix now. Somebody needs to do a rap and nobody wanted to do that. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll write a little rap verse for it. And it was terrible, but that's how I started rapping. So mm. I started playing trombone and started rapping for very childish reasons, these things that I do professionally now. But that's the music background. Yeah, that's cool. So, it's, so how did you, like in college and in your masters, you're, you're, on a, you're not diving in, you're not doing music in your degrees, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you did media, but, and then an MBA, but how did you keep your, were you, did you do, were you training with somebody? You're so talented. How did, how did you develop your skill? And was it just always, did, were you in the band at Alabama? Yeah. So, okay. Not the whole time. I was in jazz ensemble the entire time. Okay. But I, I left marching band after two seasons. So when I was in high school playing, I was always really good. My senior year, I got the, the highest chair you could get in the state of Alabama. Like it was first chair in the red band for all state. Red band wow. was a top band. Yeah. So like my senior year, you could have argued that I was like the best trombone player in the state of Alabama at the high school level. Yeah. Um, and nobody, I don't think anybody at my high school had gotten, gotten that. Uh, mm. Not that I knew, not that I know of, but uh, I wanted to be JJ Johnson. Rap was just a thing that I did. It was just like, I can rap, it's cool. But I didn't see any place for myself in the industry with what was happening in the early 2000s, hip hop wise. I'm like, people, there's no room for nerds. Mm -hmm. And then really Kanye kind of changed that for me, but really, really Lupe Fiasco changed that perception for me. Cause he's just a gigantic nerd and he's heady and he's really cerebral. And, and um, I also, when I was with my mom and my former stepfather, I wasn't really allowed to listen to secular music. Okay. So I listened to music that my dad played, because my dad, the other part of the music background is my dad on our road trips was always playing a wide array of music all the time, multi-genres, talking to me about just like some the history that he knew. And he was a trumpet player who gave it up for football. So I did basically the opposite of him. Mm. My dad played football through military in college, like I said earlier. So he gave up trumpet for football, I gave up football for trombone. Okay. Um, but, um, so I was, uh, I was passionate about being a really good trombone player, but I knew I wanted to go, I wanted to get a college football experience. So I didn't want to go to a conservatory level thing for, for college, because mm -hmm. I didn't even audition for any of the stuff. I knew that I wanted to go to a spot with like cool athletics and so I could enjoy that experience and whatnot, because I really, my, my high school football program was amazing and I didn't want to just lose that mm -hmm. immediately. Um, I felt like I could still get a good experience. But then when I was looking at, when I, all, state, all state concert band stuff was at Auburn University at the time, and all state jazz was at the University of Alabama at the time. And I'm talking, I would talk to the college students I'd encounter, and it was weird to me that they weren't taking like business courses at all. Because I, I even not knowing much of anything about anything i still thought it was weird that you would like not learn how to manage your books or something like if you're trying to be a professional musician i just didn't make sense to me so it bothered me that like this wasn't being taught so i was like i don't want to major in music and not get like a wide range of experiences mm -hmm. i'm good enough to just play because and then i was i was pretty cocky mm -hmm. i wasn't cocky enough to be unbearable <laughs> but i knew i was good you know i knew i was really good and i was like i'm better than most of these people here already like coming in i can just like i'll be able to do the ensembles i want to do i was right about that mm -hmm. i was and so i did a year of lessons 
with Dan Drill, who I still keep up with at the University of Alabama. He was their, he was their trombone professor from 1967 to 2009. Wow. And, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, a lot of great trombone players came out from under him. I have the, he's clearly retired now, but I have the utmost respect for him. And then John Whitaker came in after him. John Whitaker is a good friend of Joe Alessi, who for a while people were saying was the best trum classical trombone player on the planet. He was the, still is, I think, the principal trombone player for the New York Philharmonic. So so uh, um, I took a, a year of lessons from Dr. Whitaker, and it was really amazing that he actually gave me time because I wasn't a major and didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. But I was doing all the stuff. I was like second chair in the jazz ensemble all four years. And the first chair player was another freshman. And we kind of came in to get in the same class and kind of cleaned house <laughs> as freshmen. It was not the most popular thing when we came in, but we were like literally wire to wire all four years, first and second chair in the jazz ensemble, in the, in the top jazz ensemble. So I stayed up, I stayed with it um, from that. And then I, I gradually started falling in love with hip hop. My, my junior year, I started a band, um, Kadesh and the Perfect Strangers. And I had put out like little albums before, but that was really, I, we had a show, we packed it out, and I was just shocked at what it felt like to mm -hmm. have people respond to my music um, in, in that way. And, and that kind of changed everything okay. for me. It's a very long cool. answer. But. No, it's all right. And then tell me about your, your faith. You, you, did you go through some kind of a, lack of a better word, deconstruction of your faith? or Because so, you said every now and then you just throw everything on the wall, question everything, and then kind of reintegrate stuff. Did, did you go through some kind of a, a, a crisis of faith or just a, like, hey, I don't know if I believe this stuff anymore and I think I believe that, you know, was there a, was there a, uh, I don't know, you're, you said you were very committed to your Christian mm -hmm. life in high school. Did, did anything, did, did that change for you at some point and how and why? Really in grad school. So I, I, I became gradually more and more progressive throughout college, just experiencing people. And I, I, I've always been one to like hear people, even if, I, if my opinions were like really against, against them. You know, even when I was fully, fully like fundamentalist, I didn't get why we cared about gay marriage. I was like, okay, so they're gay. That's a sin. What does that have to do with us? Why are we trying to institutionally block it from happening when all this other stuff happens? Um, so I, like, I always had like questions about stuff that didn't make sense to me, like where I didn't identify, I hadn't identified at that point that there were a lot of power structures around faith that drove a lot of what was happening. I just didn't get like, okay, so if I believe the Bible, then why can't we just believe the Bible over here and let these people live over here and just love on them because that's what we're supposed to, that's what we're supposed to do, right? I didn't understand that as like a teenager. So, um, like I said, fell in love with a, I wouldn't say she was fully like agnostic yet, but she was like, she didn't know where she was, um, Jewish girl. And we were together from, on, we were together on and off from like, the middle of my junior year through uh, grad school, and then we were kind of on and off, uh, at least like in, in relationship purgatory for like another two years after that. So like she moved with me to Kansas City, okay. uh, went to Israel for a year, came back, um, and we actually like really like cut, cut ties in like 2015, so like, 2009 to 2015 mm -hmm. and just that her journey there are a lot of things that like I did that were really unfair to her because of my faith and the fact that I couldn't stay away from her but that she didn't share my faith and I kind of bore down on her in some ways that were really like emotionally harmful and and unfair and just like I think I didn't really start the deconstruction journey until I really started to sit with that mm -hmm. Um, and then on top of that, my grad school cohorts, cohort, cohort, so she's Jewish, there was a Ukrainian Jew, like an atheist Ukrainian Jew, um, a Bengali Muslim, her sister, uh, and then people, and then like I have a buddy from grad school who's Nigerian, he was kind of like in an interesting spot, and then a couple like, you know, 
conservative Christian guys. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we all were like running together as a group. We were mm -hmm. kind of like the, we were like the cool outsiders mm -hmm. in a way. So we weren't like in the in crowd. So like we were doing Shabbat dinners together. We were doing Ramadan together. Wow. You know, we were doing like the- It's like an interfaith yeah. experience of, with friends. Yeah, so that was yeah. two years, that was all two, both, both years of grad school. Huh. And just those conversations and yeah. like, you know, we really dealt with a few things conversationally that really had me, made me think about some stuff that I carried with me moving to Kansas City and just being mm -hmm. around people. Um, so that process was gradual. It never was a crisis situation. I think the last straw for me to really just like kind of put some things on the back burner, because we'll, we'll, I imagine we'll talk about this later, but where I am right now is like, I still maintain a prayer life. There's a lot of stuff I don't prioritize doing like church right now or anything like that. My dad is probably the most, my dad is definitely the most prominent spiritual voice in my life. And he's always been very, like open and non-judgmental mm -hmm. and just like he tries to you know guide me and encourage me just to not lose everything but he's also understanding you know the journey sure that i'm on a, a journey i put a lot of stuff on the back burner because i'd rather build um the things i'm trying to build creatively and business wise and like be the best person i can in that process and then figure out where exactly i am you know, when there's more time for it. But my last partner, who also went to Alabama, and we reconnected in 2016 while I was on tour, she moved here and we were together. And both of us were like really perfect on paper together and really perfect together in person. Mm -hmm. And um, a few things happened. Like she was going to church with me when she got here. I was going to what used to be the cause and then became Hillsong KC and I was mm -hmm. Kingdom City KC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of things happened with that, obviously. Um, we were in honeymoon phase, her dad died suddenly. That wrecked her from a faith perspective immediately. But then we kind of both realized that we were, we, were, we were moving away from what we were taught was the thing. Like if we did the thing that we were supposed to do that structurally was there, like we would have gotten married immediately and probably have kids by now. And I think it would be fine, but we'd probably be fighting through some pretty serious things, but we were really like dis deconstructing the systems around ourselves that mm. we grew in, grew up in. I was, I've always been a history person, but I was finally like admitting to myself that so much that I was seeing systemically was kind of a lie. Mm. Um, and that it wasn't necessarily that people intentionally tried to deceive me the people who raised me did the best that they could. Sure. And they, I think they did a really good job in a lot of ways and set me up to keep investigating things mm. and that's kind of where where it kind of ended up mm. you know um i think listening to people uh and really trying to hear people where they are was like the easiest deconstruction mm. uh catalyst there is because people are people have so many different experiences and then you have people who are being shut out because their experience is different than yours and that doesn't really yeah. uh, sit right with me, you know? Right. If, if God is love, yeah. then why is it that so many, quote, fundamental Christians seem to have the least of it? Sometimes. My dad still tells me. I would say that about all of them, but some, I mean, beautiful people in, in all traditions, right? But there can be a lot of judgment and stuff in some of the some of the more conservative strains of Christianity, I think, can get really, yeah, anyway. So much, my dad still to this day, he says, well, the church is a hospital, son. Yeah. The church is like a hospital. That's what I like, yeah. And he, it's, <laughs> it's interesting to me because he's so, he's so committed and he sees so much, you know? Um, so, you know, I appreciate that we can, that like we can have very real conversations where like I've watched his journey in ministry and he's gotten burned so much yeah. and one time i told him i was like dad you know you know i've seen you get burned a lot and you want me to learn from your mistakes so i i am mm -hmm. you know yeah. and interesting you know but <laughs> yeah i like to say now <clears throat> i like to say i'm less certain and more open now and i also like to say questions doubts and disbelief are a valuable part 
of the spiritual journey because it's it's how we grow it's how we learn it's how you know so um yeah well cool well let's 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 jump into your your uh, your musical so you're in kansas city working at cerner um about the same time you moved to kansas city you released your first full album is that right 2013 yeah. 14 14 mm -hmm. how many full albums have you released now um really uh you could say two or you could say five. Okay. I guess you could say three or you could say five. So um, you could say three or you could say six. So when I was in college and I was, and I was putting out the weekly anime raps, I put those together and they were more like mixtapes. It wasn't like a cohesive body of work thing. But I had, I released this album on Bandcamp called Bankai Flow. It's, a, it's inspired by this anime called Bleach. And that was really what started everything. And then I had a series called Nerd Crunk, Nerd Crunk Volume 1, 2, and 3. And it was, you know, Star Wars and Skyrim and Bleach and Dragon Ball Z and One Piece and all these, all these you know, nerdy, you know, anime and video game franchises I was, did raps about or inspired by. So those, you could, you could consider those albums or you could not. Gateways was the album where I released it in 2014, and that was when I decided to take myself seriously as an artist for real, for real, and do the work. Because in grad school, I had a moment where basically how I started was I released, I think it was November 2011, I did a Skyrim rap. It was the same month the Skyrim video game came out. And um, my classmates, you know, I was, I was like get ready to walk into like a study thing with people and one of them texted me. He was like, you're on the front page of Reddit right now. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that like kind of cracked. And then I didn't have, go ahead. Well, no, I, did you sign with Strange or? Did, no. No. You did, was that just a self-release? I just you... played on some stuff. I played I play trombone on some Strange music okay. projects. But when the, the albums that you started releasing, those were all? That's me. Like DIY stuff. Yep. Yeah. Everything's been DIY. Okay. Um, so. Um, it's great. I love your music. I've been listening to it for a few weeks now, getting ready. <laughs> I love Thank it. you. It's good. Good, good. The weekly, so the weekly release thing happened because I had to have an internship during the summer of the NBA, of my NBA time. I had it. I was interning with an online startup. The startup failed. So I'm like, and I'm like, I'm not going to be able to get anything else. So I basically went to the grad school office and asked if I could do a marketing project with my music and report on it. So I was releasing weekly stuff and looking at the trends. And um, I thought, and that it was also like me realizing, hey, I can't, I was running away from music at the time. I was running away from myself musically and for a number of reasons. And I had, had this moment where I was like, I need to actually try and see what happens. So in doing that, I had some stuff jump off. It wasn't like right now, now it wouldn't be considered going viral without friends who do, who are doing the best numbers I ever had bi-weekly right mm -hmm. now. But at that point in time, when you have something that's in the hundreds of thousands and it's like, you know, Kotaku is a huge pop culture um, media outlet was writing about your stuff and like IGN did a thing where I was in it and like, I was getting a lot of attention because what I was doing wasn't common at the time. That led to the music making. But then I get to Kansas City, I'm at Cerner, and I know that I need to actually try. I need to try to book national shows, see if I could get booked with stuff. So I, re I released Gateways as like a product that I could give people who don't know anything about me. Hmm. And that was what helped me get booked at my first anime convention, which was Anime Los Angeles in 2015. And... Um, so that's the first album. Then the second one would be Otaku Moods, which is 2019. I featured Jessica Page on that album. And then, um, and then Room Service 2, which I released in 2021. It's my mm -hmm. last solo release. But you could also say Ghouls and Ghosts 4, which is a Halloween album that uh, Mega Ran is like the musical big bro. Richie Branson is also a musical big bro. They added me to their series of Halloween albums because they had featured me on the previous two, but they were like, why don't you just be on the whole thing? And that like, that album was incredible. I, I'm still shocked at how well it went and how well it turned out. So you could say, I guess for real, for real four, but you could also say six. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let, so here, you know, like I'm, I'm 62. And uh, like 
I can't remember when Pac-Man came out, but I didn't. I grew up playing pinball, right? <laughs> not, yeah. not video games, right? Yeah. And then by the time video games hit, I mean, I was off doing other. I, I never really, really got in big time. Video. You know, I played some, but never got into it, you know. And then anime, I'm not, you know. Now I have got, you know, I've, I've been a long time hip hop fan, but, mm. um, but so help help people like myself. What like how? If I really wanted to understand the anime culture, because I went to your YouTube channel and watched, you know, <laughs> some of your your video stuff there. That's that's all anime, hip hop, yeah, and that's a genre, right? Mm -hmm. And like that's such a new thing for me because I don't watch anime, but I love hip hop, and so I'm looking, I'm going down through your YouTube channel, looking at all this stuff. So tell me about this genre of anime, hip hop. How long has it been going on? You, you're in that space. G give us a little feel for people who are outsiders and don't really know that world. Help us to help us to dive into that world a little bit. Okay, so foundationally, a lot of rappers are nerds. You think about Wu Tang with the Thirty Six Chambers thing. That was like a concept album that was inspired by a classic kung fu movie. Yeah, um, MF Doom, literally comic inspired. You know, um, what was the two volume set that was so big? Voice box and oh, what was that? Man, I should be able to answer oh, that okay. question. <laughs> but anyway, I always wondered if that was a, a big concept thing that we're in that flow from as well. Yeah. There's so much there. So it's it's been there. Rappers have been nerds, mm -hmm. right? Um, to be a lyrically good hip hop artist, you kind of have to be a nerd, honestly. You just may not be a nerd about nerdy things, mm -hmm. but. Like you can't have that depth of references and storytelling without nerding out about certain things. Yeah, it's a thousand images you get thrown that get thrown at you, and yeah. you know it's just fascinating. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah. But <clears throat> nerdcore um, is a term. The the term was coined by a guy who goes by MC Front a lot. His name's Damian Hess in two thousand, and. Um, it's wild because in college I looked up to these people and now like they're like really good friends and it's so crazy. But um, he coined the term. There was a guy named Bryce who literally his rap moniker is YT Cracker. He's a hacker, and he was doing video game. He's doing chip tune and six eight and sixteen bit sixteen bit sound rap stuff. Um, my like mentor, big brother, rap guy, Mega Ran is really the guy I'm most inspired by in that world, and he had an album in, uh, he had like a 2009 or 2008, maybe 2007 thing called Forever Famicom, which was like Famicom's early video games where he covers a lot of stuff. And then he dropped Black Materia in 2011, which was a Final Fantasy VII inspired rap album. I was listening to the Carter Four Lil Wayne's album, and I saw this Final Fantasy graphic near Lil Wayne on the iTunes charts, and I was like, what is this, and listen to it. And that was really my last draw because mm. I'd written these secret anime and video game bars. The anime rap side of things, and this is like a super condensed, you know, yeah. thing, but um, the anime rap side of things kind of spawned from the whole nerdcore thing. Um, and really, I'd say when I started doing it in 2012, there's a guy I'm really, I mentioned earlier, Richie Branson, who like until recently was working on. Um, uh, Fortnite. So he's a game developer now, but he still raps. But um, we met on the internet. I did the Skyrim thing, and I did a Star Wars The Old Republic rap, and he did a Star Wars The Old Republic rap, but he's an immensely better producer than me, and he had gotten screwed over on a major label situation and was just doing his own thing now. And so he did a thing called Otaku Tuesdays, which every Tuesday he dropped an anime rap. And I was thinking about doing that but I couldn't do it because I was taking 15 hours of 500 levels. So I didn't get to it till that summer. But we were connecting on the internet and collaborating a little bit that whole time. So we had a personal relationship, but at the same time, there's a guy who went by Shofu, there's a guy who went by Eddie Rath, there's a guy who goes by Six Seconds. And these guys were all like dropping anime-inspired stuff and going pretty viral with it. Um, and there's some people I'm not thinking about, but I'd say there were probably like six to 10 people doing that in like 2012. Okay. Hmm. And that's where like it really, nationwide. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. And that's really where it started. So yeah. I don't know all those guys personally, but we've interacted. There's like a guy who goes by none like Joshua also. 
so like on your YouTube, like when I, the, 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 the anime part, mm -hmm. is that, are you, do you have to buy the license to show that? And then you're, and it's all your music? No, initially, no. How, so how, yeah. initially there wasn't, you know, you were risking getting flagged, but then I think a lot of these companies realized it was just free marketing. And YouTube, you would just steal a clip basically and put your music. Yeah, together. you would just like edit, edit yeah, the clip together, yeah. edit scenes together. Okay. I don't steal. But, you know, um, I mean, you know, and, yeah, whatever. Um, but you weren't asking for permission, probably, no, right? You were no. just posting it, and then this, the copyright people come chasing after you, or stuff like that. So every so often, <laughs> for the most part, they didn't, and YouTube didn't have YouTube hadn't figured out a way to like add share when you use somebody else's content yet. Now they can. So the reason I didn't stay with that is because like I, I had to get a job and I was in the live performing. So I moved and I was corporate. And I'm like, I'm either going to be performing live or releasing really weekly stuff. I can't do both at the same time and have a, a corporate job. Mm -hmm. So I let it go for a little bit. And the midst of that, YouTube figured out, you know, a, now I guess you could do that and add share revenue everybody shares stuff the companies mm -hmm. the companies who own the content can flag it if they want and they can get all the ad share revenue mm -hmm. or they could like they're still getting getting yeah. some of it and then occasionally you'll have a certain franchise that is like no you can't use this at all but they'll just flag it you know they'll, yeah. they'll just be like no you can't use it and all of a sudden it's not there anymore yeah we, and we, you we have that happen every day <laughs> <laughs> so you take it down so it's yeah. like it's, it's easy to manage now but that yeah. wasn't they hadn't figured that out in like 2012 and 2013 yeah, yeah. Now though, so when, well, I'm at Cerner, there's people, you know, there's people like- Are um, you still at Cerner? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, you're, you're no, full, I, I, yeah, full this is my thing. musician, right? Whole yeah. different world, whole right, different right, life. Right. But there are people like, um, like Rustage really is kind of like the, the biggest guy on the planet for this thing. He's like this 25 year old British guy and he's just a machine cracking out stuff and he's been doing it for a while. Uh, him, there's people like uh, Cam Steady, Daddy Fat Snaps, Game Boy Jones. Um, I mentioned Dizzy Eight earlier. That, that like really, I'd say maybe like 2015, 2016. Uh, they started; these guys started doing a lot of stuff consistently, and it's turned into like this massive. Hmm. Like they're they're doing crazy so stuff. So fascinating. Mm. There's the whole community. There's so so this yeah. whole community. There's so many amazing creators making incredible music consistently um there's a guy in fable who's like if like lincoln park and drake had a musical baby but his content's oh. expired by like oh. anime no. um it's crazy like it's and it's a really it's really inspiring so that's like the long and short like really condensed thing um for that yeah, i was and, a lincoln park fan I, I went and saw them live in kansas city one time um probably in, probably probably about when you were here do you remember when when you two did their vertical tour remember? yeah they were at Kemper, and right next to them was Lincoln Park. Wow. And I love YouTube, but I went to Lincoln Park. And I, wow. I was one of the best concerts I did. I bet, anyway. it, I bet it was. <laughs> anyway, um, tell me about Nerdy People of Color Collective. Yeah, so and, that's the other side. How does that relate to the nerdcore stuff? Or, so, or does it? It does. It absolutely does. So Mega Ran, who you know at this point is a really popular independent hip-hop artists across the board, very respected across like hip-hop in general. Um, at that point in time, so this is 2013, he and um, a WWE star uh, who goes by Xavier Woods, they were at uh, they were at a thing that used to happen in Orlando called Nerdapalooza, and Rand had already identified people he was seeing on the internet who are doing things, who are, you know, they're, who are doing other like anime, video games, sci-fi inspired rap things genuinely. So there was, you know, like these people are like family to me now, like um, IQ, um, Creative Mind Frame out of Dallas. IQ also is now in Dallas. Uh, Shubzilla out of Seattle. Samus, who literally is, took her name from the main character of Metroid. She's a postdoc fellow at Brown University right now. And she's, she's one of the best rappers I've ever heard in my life. Um, so there are all these people, Sky Blue out of North Carolina, a bunch of people. And he kind of, everybody was able to go to this thing and meet up in person, except me because I just started at Cerner and didn't have any vacation time yet. So I didn't go, but the Nerdy People of Color Collective was started there. He basically was like, hey, let's all be in a thing. Let's do some stuff together. 
Uh, and it's really about representation because a lot of nerdy, quote unquote, nerdy and geek spaces are traditionally like straight white, you know, nerds, and it excludes excludes everybody else. And NPC also in video game terminology is an acronym for non-player character. So it's kind of a double entendre saying, okay, we're the nerdy people of color. We're also not going to allow ourselves to be non-player characters in these spaces anymore. So we're it's representation by action. So we're going to be at these conventions. We're going to be at these festivals. We're going to be in the conversation more in general. Um, so that's really how it started and what it is. And we we just started really mobbing festivals. And what what was cool was those of us at that point in time, it was really just like Rand, Richie, and Samus, and obviously Xavier Woods is hugely famous. We were that was and he's a he's a pro wrestler. Yeah, dude. He's also have a trombone you, player. Have, oh, really? Yeah. Have you ever heard of Bobby Lashley? Yeah. I, I, I know him. You know Bobby Lashley? <laughs> it's crazy. One of my close friends and Bobby wrestled in college together. He, and, uh, <laughs> and then so I, when I, when I kind of blew apart and came out of rehab um, and had lost my job and everything, I actually raised money for a medical marijuana company here in Kansas City. Uh, and, uh, and so my friend put me in touch with Bobby as a potential investor, you know. In wow. This. Yeah. And so we had, we've, we've had a lot of conversations and I keep thinking, I keep forgetting, I want to try to get him on my podcast, but uh, I have his, you know, I have his cell number and we've, we've, we've dialogued a lot. Very cool. Yeah. Through the last four years, maybe. But, but yeah. he was here, he was here with the WWE for Monday yeah. Night Raw. Yeah. Um, and like my friend, he stayed at my friend's house and <laughs> his kids and them were playing, playing vi videos together after the thing, you know? Wow. So. <laughs> yeah. I was at that. I was at that show because uh, Xavier Woods uh, got was, me a floor seats. For oh, it. sweet. <laughs> sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, we just kind of built because a lot of us were as well known and then we started booking, you know, just get in the door at conventions. But then it turned into 2016 MAGFest, stands for Music and Gaming Festival. It's in Washington, D.C. Ram was like, hey, they gave me three main stage show slots for some reason. At this point in time, Mega Ram was like the only rapper who people viewed as like safe, who was, who was a person of color, who was black mm. or even like just non-white. And I have been told from a lot of bigger places, they're like, oh, you might be inciting gang violence at a convention. It was like completely absurd. But he was like, hey, if you can get here, I got badges in the room for you. We'll do this showcase and show you off. I think like 4,500 people came to that show. Uh, I did one song of mine and then played trombone on two other songs with people. From that one performance, uh, three of the biggest anime conventions in the US booked me on the spot basically. There were people who worked with them that were there. And so then that summer 2016, um, I played Anime Expo with Mega Ranch, Shubzilla IQ, and Bill Beats. And then um, I did Otakon with Samus IQ and Creative Mind Frame. And those are both Otakons in Baltimore. Anime Expo is massive and in LA. And those two things were really kind of booking. So 2016 ended up being crazy. At the same time that year, I also did my first official South by Southwest showcase because I was playing trombone with some some vets, and I had gotten poached by Sandy Kemper from 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 Cerner, and I was I had started at C2FO, which is a fintech company. Mm -hmm. That company didn't have a vacation policy to avoid attrition costs, so if you were working hard, you needed to go, you just went. So then I started booking tours while working there. And so the NPC Collective was just doing all this stuff all over the country. And that's really how 26, that 2016 year was like kind of the catalyst year for me, uh, music career wise, and everything got crazy. And then mm. in 2017, I ended up needing to quit my job because I was at a band boys point. Um, so that's like a general synopsis of the learning people of color. We're still doing stuff like, but those are all, everybody mentions like family. We have like multiple group chats. We're talking mm. like every day. You know, and we're planning stuff, collaborating all the time. It's really, it's really cool. That's amazing. So, um, what, what's going on like currently right now? What do you see on the horizon uh, as far as the, you know, the next year or two in your, in your career? 
I think flipping back to being content forward as compared to being performance forward, I'm still going to perform a lot, but that's the, the biggest shift is like getting back to releasing a lot of music and really trying to be comprehensive about how I put it out, how I push it um, across social platforms, um, across mediums and whatnot. Uh, which is, so I jumped back into releasing music weekly in 2020, like in late 2020, and I did that for like a year. Um, and the problem with that was, this is a good problem to have, I also kind of had the hot hand in Kansas City, and so I was performing all the time. And I never thought I'd be in a situation where I was getting paid decently well to do my original music all the time in like a concentrated area and people were showing up for all of it. Yeah, you know? that's, that's fun. It was really, it's, it's really, it's so crazy. Um, but now I'm like, okay, so if I'm performing all the time and I can still put one to 200 people in a room, depending on the situation, what happens if I'm not doing my stuff all the time? Can we create a little bit more of a scarcity model around what I'm doing? And there are other things that I'm doing now that kind of allow me to do that where I'm doing more children's music with a guy, Dino Odell, um, and we're, we're collaborating more closely. We've been working together for a while, but we're, we have a lot planned that is daytime world in schools and libraries mm. and museums. Oh. So like, I don't necessarily need to have nighttime shows all the time. And um, I just have so much I want to do and so many people I want to collaborate with mm. that uh, the, the, sh the big shift is making, making, more, um, making more music and having a more consistent Content game, my content game is decently consistent, but really, really amping it up. So that's the immediate thing. Um, I'm also now the major gifts officer at Kansas City Community Gardens, and I was writing grants for them for the last three and a half years. Oh, wow. So I'm more engaged there. So just from that, I plan on being just more front-facing uh, because I'm raising money. But now that kind of integrates you know, those, now it's like these two worlds kind of collide a little bit because I'm being more of a face for mm -hmm. them. And I've been emceeing the, the gala f for us since I've been working there. But that opportunity came from um, somebody suggesting I look at grant writing jobs because I had successfully funded a few projects I'd done. Hmm. And I never thought about it. I looked on Nonprofit Connect, job was there. It's like, oh, and I, one of my goals when I left C2FO was to find something that was a non-musical skill set mm -hmm. that I could do part-time and remotely if yeah. I needed to. So those are the things. Um, there's a lot that comes with that, but those are probably the main two things. Yeah, yeah. Well, if uh, for those of you who haven't listened to Kadesh Flow, just just Google Kadesh Flow. <laughs> Facts, <laughs> and, absolutely, yeah. And boom, I mean, you'll, you'll, have a, <laughs> you'll have a thousand things to, to follow, but the YouTube channel is really fun. A lot of your anime work is on your YouTube channel. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, great, great Instagram and, all, you know, and then you can listen, pull up all your albums, music, all that kind of stuff. You just, you're most, you just released a new single just what, a month ago or yeah. something? Yep. Called uh, Stakes. Stakes. Yep. Stakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was kind of just like, I've done stuff that, just to make sure that I have something hanging out while I prepare to be really consistent. Because like I, I, I haven't said this to anybody yet, but I have a song I'm releasing on January 1st. I'm, I'm like about finished with the mix. And huh. I'm going to send it to the radio people and whatnot. Um, but I'm, I'm hitting it really hard from the front end that I have the, I'm taking two weeks off from music, uh, in mid January and I'll, I'll, I'll have stuff queued up to just like hit click and put out while I'm, you know, resting mentally a little bit. And then late January through May, it's like, it's on, there's like some crazy shows already on deck, some crazy collaborations that I'm mm. looking at and, um, yeah, I'm just gonna try to yeah. keep it consistent. That's cool. <laughs> well, hey, um, I'm gonna. I, I want to just encourage people to to check you out and uh, listen. If even if you are are not a regular rap hip hop listener, um, you're gonna love Kadesh's music. Check it out. Trust me on this. Thank you, friend. Great, great <laughs> music. 
uh, super good. And by the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this because this is gonna come out actually tomorrow. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is gonna be a real quick release, but um, we are we are just in the early planning phases of an event on Friday night, January twelfth at the Oasis International Church in Raytown, where Michael Brooks is pastor. Uh, and uh, we're going to be doing an, uh, an MLK event that Friday night. Calvin Arsenia is going to be working with us, putting the music together. We're going to have some, you know, a keynote speaker, a panel discussion, we'll be talking about some of the, the issues that we're facing in our nation with a focus on nonviolent uh, resistance to oppression and, uh, and loving our enemy even, as MLK so brilliantly gave us a model for so uh, and I'm and and I just mentioned this to Kadesh today and so we we Calvin and I were hoping we could we could have Kadesh join us um, so yeah if uh, and then we we even there's a there's a we might do an after party yeah there's a Jessica Des Rage it's myself and Jessica Page at the ship um, doors for that are at 9 9 so. see so ours is going to be the 6:30 to 8:30 and then uh, for anybody who wants to go have an after party, we can hit over at the ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. So, um, but thank you so much for uh, jumping on Spirituality Adventures with us. It's, it's really a joy. And hang on for, because we want to, we want to get a, maybe a song or two on here. So is that, is that good? Yeah. You willing to do that? And uh, we'll, we'll get a, get a recording here for your, for one of your, one or two of your songs. So. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Kadesh. Appreciate it. Thank you, friend. It's cool to be here. Hey, I'm Kadesh Flo. Um, it's cool to be here on the Spirituality Adventures podcast with Fred Heron. Um, I just wrote this song that is going to be out on uh, January 1st, and it's recorded and everything, but I still don't know it. So I'm just going to do what we could do on it. It's called Overcome. It's inspired by a character, the Nami from Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, who I relate to a lot because he is a jiu-jitsu sorcerer, but he left that life to get a corporate job for a while because he thought it was reckless, but his his gifts and passions ended up calling him back to, um, to help some of the kids out and whatnot. And it's a fateful decision, we'll say that. Um, used to tell people who look up to me to keep it pushing, don't give up because for greatness we must pay a price. Gotta be honest, though, the way my lane and future's looking, I'm not all that certain that I've been given great advice. Privileged by my talent when I've been trying to escape this life was my attempt to reject my purpose, simply wasted time, wondering what I accomplished, trying to run away from mine. People inspired by me, I call the past so they can shine. This has always been a volatile the way of life exhausted. Wondering if support would come in pain as I've been walking, fighting curses with my guilt because I'm complicit. Just being alive in the systems we existed, I've been burned, recognizing why I'm on this earth to risk it. Life and livelihood, I heard the call and then I listened. I I wish I'd never run away. I wish this world were different. I'm just trying to last until we shift it. I pray that we can overcome. Take it into overtime. Unlock my full potential. Maintain hope that I can overcome. Yeah, I'm supposed to shine. And when the going gets tough, I still hold the line to overcome. Take it into overtime. Unlock my full potential. Maintain hope that I can overcome. Yeah. I'm supposed to shine. And when the going gets tough, I still hold the line. Was going extra hard. I hope the pay adjusted. Corporate ladder led the quagmires I was stuck in. Meanwhile, people think my skills are what luck did. They don't know how much I had to grind to make it up here. Staring down obstacles calmly. I'm just doing math. Used to think it reckless for anybody to choose this path. Walking this, you never know how quickly you can leave this earth. Been looking for answers, but just ended up receiving burn scars that clouds my vision. Pushing forward, wondering if I made the right decision. Had a decent living. Have I done enough? No, that's why I'm still relentless. Resolute with past the limits, still come to remembrance back when I thought leaving corporate meant that bill payments were getting through. But now I ditched the coat and tie. Know that I gotta hit the city doing just what I was built to do because complacency's too miserable. I pray that we can overcome. Take it into overtime. Unlock my full potential. Maintain hope that I can overcome. Yeah, I'm supposed to shine. And when the going gets tough, I still hold the line and overcome. Take it into overtime. Unlock my full potential, maintain hope that I can overcome. Yeah, I'm supposed to shine. And when the going gets stuff, I still hold the line and overcome. 
Hey, you made it to the end. Thanks for listening all the way through on this episode. By the way, if you're not already a supporter, go to spiritualityadventures.com, sign up for one of our monthly supports, and you will receive our bonus content. You'll receive lots of interesting information about our guests. Many of our musicians will do special bonus songs and record a song. So I want to encourage you to do that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Be sure and subscribe. Be sure and share any of the episodes that you like. And be sure and make comments if you like them as well. This helps us uh, get spirituality adventures out there to more listeners, more, more watchers. So whatever platform you're using, subscribe, like, share, make comments. And go to our website, sign up for our team and be a part of the team support. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time.